0: and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of John. Uh, You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you great thanks that you have gathered us here, Lord, to give us your good news, that we are loved by you, that our sins are forgiven, and that your Holy Spirit has been granted to us to sustain us into everlasting life. Lord, we need to hear such promises in the midst of a world that continues uh, to counter your word and continues to push back against your promises and your people. So, Lord, always keep your word firmly fixed in our ears and in our hearts. And now we pray for your Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer in Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago at my former congregation, I decided to Uh, kind of spy on sit in on uh, the senior high Sunday school hour and uh, that Sunday school hour they were working through the book of Romans we had some great teachers there and they were they were taking the kids through the whole book of Romans and that particular Sunday they were looking at Romans chapter 8 and they were focusing in on this question that you find from Saint Paul in Romans chapter 8 if God is for us who can be against us So they discussed it, and I had to leave. So I got up, and and I turned around, and I looked at the class, and I said, all right, guys, if God is for us, who can be against us? And a little Jimmy Fryery was sitting there, and he looks at me all proud in his face, and he goes, Pastor, no one can be against us. And me, being the smart aleck that I am, said, wrong. Everyone can be against us. Jimmy Friary sat back, and he goes, You know, Pastor, I think you're right. I like Jimmy Fryer. He's a very smart guy. Uh, But I was making a joke. I was kind of being a smart aleck about the whole thing. Uh, But but he saw through it. And and he he and I realized at that moment, you know, there's something to that. If God is for us, there's going to be a lot of people who are against us. Just look at our reading from the Gospel today with this man who was born blind. As soon as Jesus was for him, it seems that everybody turned against him. Now, before we get into it, let's just remember where we're at here. We are doing a sermon series this season of Lent called Encounters with Jesus, where we're looking at how Jesus deals with people that he encounters in a variety of situations in their lives. So we've seen what happens when Jesus encounters the devil and how he, he deals with the assaults of the devil. We see how Jesus deals with us in, the, in our own pride. We've seen how Jesus deals with us in the shame of our sin. But now today what we're going to see is how does jesus deal with people who oppose him and not just how does jesus deal with opposition to him but maybe more to the point how does jesus deal with us when people oppose us for confessing his name how are we and how does jesus deal with opposition to his name now uh, before we move on from this we're going to find uh, that when we do confess Jesus in this world, it's not going to be a popular thing. Many people will be against us. But we should spend just a quick moment to try and figure out what St. Paul actually does mean in Romans chapter 8 when he asks the question if God is for us, who can be against us? By that question, Paul does not mean this. If God loves you and God is on your side, then you will have no more opposition in the world. Everybody is going to love you and all of your problems are going to go away. That cannot be what he means. After all, if anybody knew what it meant to suffer for the name of Christ, it was St. Paul. You can just read through his letters and read about the warm welcomes he receives everywhere he goes. They open their arms to him and then they throw rocks at him trying to kill him for preaching Jesus. Paul knows what it means to receive opposition. But what he means when he says that if God is for us, who can be against us? What he means is this, is that before the judgment seat of God, in the throne room of heaven, before the judgment seat of God, there can be nobody whose accusations will work in the ears of our Father. If God is for you, there can be no prosecuting lawyer that can make any sort of case against you. This is why he begins Romans chapter 8 by saying, there is now no condemnation for you who are in christ jesus and you by virtue of your baptism are in christ jesus therefore that means before god he's not taking any accusations of you into account your sin no longer condemns you because christ took your sin and died for it on the cross the law can no longer judge you because jesus has fulfilled the law on your behalf The devil can no longer wield his accusations against you because God has silenced his mouth and he loves you too much to listen to anything the devil has to say about you. And God judges you not by the virtues and the value systems of this world, but he judges you based on the dying and rising of his son. So no matter what people say about you in this world, no matter what kind of accusations are leveled against you in this world, no matter how this world labels you, God's not listening to any of you. He sees you as the beloved baptized child of God purchased in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And if he's for you in that way, nobody can be against you. But don't think that's going to stop the world from trying to be against you. Don't think that's going to stop people from leveling accusations against you. Once God is for you, once Christ has claimed you as his own, you should expect to receive pushback and rejection from the world. And nobody knew that better than our dear friend, the man who was born blind, that Jesus encounters today. So here we have Jesus and his disciples walking along the road, and they come across this man who is born blind. And instead of seeing an opportunity for love here, the disciples see an opportunity for a theological discussion. So they see the man born blind, and they look at Jesus and say, whose sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now, if he's born blind, how he sinned to be born blind? I don't know. Anyways, uh, they're trying to figure out why this happened. Jesus says, you guys don't understand anything. This man is this way so that we might demonstrate the works of God in his life. And then Jesus does something remarkable. He spits, (laughs) of all things. There is God in flesh spitting on the ground, making mud with the spittle. And he picks it up and he rubs it in the man's eyes and tells him to go wash in a place called the Pool of Siloam. And he goes to the water and he washes and his sight is restored. And I love this scene because here you have Jesus using the physical elements of this world to to convey his blessings, to convey his gifts. Just like we get with, with baptism in the Lord's Supper. Jesus uses here spit and mud and water to give this guy his sight back. In essence, this man is now baptized. In essence, this man now belongs to Jesus. But this miracle causes quite a stir in the town there because it's not every day that you see a man born blind receiving his sight. Further, he was restored to sight by this very controversial Jesus figure. And so there's quite a uh, to-do about all of And so what do they do about this? Well, they call in the religious police. They call in the Pharisees to do sort of an examination, an investigation, to see what has happened to this man. And so the Pharisees get the man together, and they begin uh, to inquire of him why this has happened. How has this happened? And, And what you then see is that he is now officially on trial. Now, he's, the Pharisees, they look at the man, and they don't see someone who's experienced a miracle and should be celebrated. They don't see something miraculous from God happening that should cause them to be in awe and worship and praise. Instead, they just see a bunch of broken rules. After all, the Pharisees are legalists, and they believe that God operates according to their lists. And so what they see here is not that a man has received his sight, but that somebody did some healing work on the Sabbath day. As we learned in the text, Jesus did this on the Sabbath day. Further, if you read through the Old Testament, you will find um, that uh, spit... Is considered impure and unclean. I don't know if you needed the Bible to tell you that. Uh, But uh, this is considered unclean, ceremonially unclean. And so if you touch someone's spit, you're going to be an unclean person. Well, this man had spit and mud put into his eyes. So there's a lot of stuff here that is sort of out of bounds as far as the Pharisees are concerned. It's that Jesus character again. He's up to his old gospel tricks and this is bothering them. So they put the man on trial. What do you say about this Jesus? What do you believe about him? He says, he is a prophet. They say, you're one of his disciples. And they begin to accuse him. They ask him if he is in favor of this Jesus, if he sides with this Jesus, if he uh, acknowledges that Jesus has done this work in his life. And of course the guy does. Jesus just gave him his sight back. Of course he acknowledges Jesus. This man is clearly, he says, from God. And that does it. They are now not only against Jesus, but they are against this man. And the text says they threw him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue. They, in essence, are trying to remove him from society. Now, I want you to think a little bit about this account uh, that you had to stand up for for 25 minutes today as we read all 41 verses there. I want you to think a little bit about this account and compare it with Jesus' own life in the Gospel of John. If you read through the Gospel of John, what you're going to find is that uh, it is a trial narrative, that Jesus will come proclaiming who he is, he will preach good news, he will perform these miracles, and what happens after, this, after he does this is suddenly he's put on trial. The religious leaders begin to debate who he is, the crowds begin to discuss what sort of man this is. Some people think he's from God, some people think he's the enemy of God in God's people, and some people are just confused, they don't really know what to do. And yet he is still put on trial by the Pharisees, he is rejected by the Pharisees, he is found guilty, and he is cast out, literally put out of the city and crucified on a cross. The religious leaders reject him. We even read accounts of Jesus' own family, his own brothers, mocking him and putting him down. Now compare that with the man born blind. Just as Jesus came and performed these miracles and said these wonderful truths about himself, this blind man received one of those miracles and began to confess the truth about Jesus. Just as Jesus' own brothers rejected him, so this man's family wants to distance themselves from him lest they suffer because they're associated with someone who loves Jesus. And just as Jesus was put on trial and ultimately cast out, so this man is put on trial. And he is cast out. You see... Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms that if a servant is no, that a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted you, uh, if they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will persecute you. you need to recognize that in this world to be conformed to the image of Christ means to receive similar treatment that Christ himself received. But see, it seems to me that as you read through texts like this and you look at the way the world sort of responds to Jesus, there is something about Jesus and his gospel and his mercy that is a threat to the world. These religious leaders are thinking he can't be good for us. Look how he doesn't abide by our rules. Look how he just shows mercy to whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Even on a Sabbath day. Look how he makes claims over people so they believe and live in a way that we just don't like the only way they know how to handle this then is to cast jesus out and to remove anyone who believes in him or receives what he has to give we see this sentiment bubbling up once again in our own culture and it's been going this way for some time and i think our culture uh, We seem to be talking about this more and more, but I do think our culture is growing more and more adverse to the teachings of Christianity, to the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified for the salvation of the world. And soon, the church is going to be called upon to be like this blind man. And Not just soon, but even now. Every day, we are called upon to be like this blind man and to proclaim the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for the salvation of the world and what he's done to save us. We are called to confess our faith in Jesus at all times. But more and more, we're going to find that as we do confess this faith, it is less and less welcome. A number of years ago, I read an interview with a, by an actor. His name was uh, Chris O'Dowd. I don't know if you've ever heard of Chris O'Dowd. He's, a, he's an Irish actor, I believe, kind of a funny guy. Um, he was interviewed in the British... A version of Gentleman's Quarterly in GQ. Uh, and he was talking about faith and religion. Now, if you don't know who Chris O'Dowd is, I, I, I don't know much about him. I do know he must know a lot about God because he was in the second Thor movie in Thor's God. So uh, he might know a few things, but this is what he says about religion and the way things are going and his feelings towards it. And I think this is sort of symbolic of what we see happening in our society right now. He said, for most of my life, I've been, hey... I'm not into it, but I respect your right to believe whatever you want. But as time goes on, weirdly, I'm growing less liberal. Now I'm more like, no, religion is ruining the world, and you need to stop. He went on to predict, there's going to be a turning point where it's, that is religion, is going to be like racism. You know, you're not allowed to say that weird stuff. It's mad, and you're making everybody crazy. So in other words, what he says is that soon religion, and we would think for ourselves specifically Christianity, is going to be portrayed in such a way that it is viewed like racism, backwards, hateful, bigoted, all that kind of stuff. That's how Christianity is going to be judged and labeled. Now it's not true, Christianity is not like racism. If we're at our best, Christianity is often working, uh, is always working against racism and that sort of thing and any sort of hate and belittling. And yet, the world judges us differently. The world looks at the church and says, this is something that needs to be stopped. This is something that needs to be silenced. This is something that needs to be put out, removed from the national or the worldwide conversation. So the church will have to stand up and confess the truth. We're going to have to take a stand and say things like we believe God created the world. We believe God created things like marriage and men and women specifically with specific purposes in this world. We're going to have to stand up and take a stand on saying things like Jesus Christ is the true Lord and there is no greater Lord than He. And we don't bow the knee to anyone but Jesus Christ alone. For He alone is the way, the truth, and the lie. And we're going to have to stand firm upon what Christ has given us to believe, teach, and confess. And we have to do this all the while, continuing to do the work of the church, to go out and proclaim this in such a way that it brings people to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. We have to take a stand for the truth, alongside always preaching the good news, so that people might come to believe. Now, the world doesn't want the world to believe. The world doesn't want people to come to faith, so they'll find ways to oppose it. And yet here we are called upon to stay the course. So the question is, in staying the course, what does that look like? How are we to respond when we receive opposition to confessing our faith? Well, I think that's actually the wrong first question. That is a good question, but it's the wrong question to ask first. Instead of asking how should we respond when we are opposed for the faith, the better question to start with is this. How does Jesus respond how does Jesus respond not to his own opposition, but how does Jesus respond when his church is opposed? How does Jesus respond when the people he loves and the people he has saved, how does he respond when they are opposed? Well, what do we see in our text today? He just keeps coming for them. He just keeps showing up with his mercy and his love. He will not back off and he will not abandon his people. He will not abandon his church. Listen to how he treats this man once he is cast out. Jesus heard that they had cast out the man. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, and I love, this is a great line to say to someone who used to be blind. Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It's like the most, it's beautiful, it's just great. You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped. does jesus do for his beloved church for his dear christians for you when you face the trial he continues to come to you to proclaim his love for you to forgive your sins to strengthen you in your confession this is what jesus means when he says i am with you always even to the end of the age Christ never abandons His disciples. Now, it may seem like it for a while while you're on the trial. I Remember this man, he's healed, and, and he put, he's put on trial, and, and Jesus really isn't anywhere to be seen at that point. But the man stays the course. He confesses the faith. He perseveres in standing up for the truth. And when they have cast him out, he finds that he has been cast out to the same place where Jesus. Is. Jesus finds him and restores him. Jesus sees, though he may seem absent for a while, he is always there to receive those who are rejected for his namesake. So that when the world casts its judgment against you, Jesus is there to declare to you, hey, look, you're seeing clearly. You still have my mud in your eyes. You are baptized and you are mine. You have stood up for the truth. Well done, good and faithful servant. Such a promised welcome. With the presence of Christ to strengthen us. And the promise of this joyful welcome before us. We can join this man who has Jesus' mud in his eyes and confess the truth firmly and boldly against any form of opposition. God, in Christ Jesus, is for you. Therefore, who would even want to stand against you? No one is a real threat to you and your faith at all. So we are called in the midst of this to simply keep at the work of the Gospel, to proclaim Christ's saving mercies, to care for our brothers and sisters, both in our own congregation and in the broader congregations around us and throughout the world, to care for them when they are rejected by their parents, by their families, by their workplace, their schools, their governments. Or their society. We are called to stay the course and go to our jobs, working hard for the good of society, proclaiming Jesus' name and expecting and not being surprised when we receive mockery and belittlement. But we do so knowing that if we suffer with Christ, if we die with Christ, we will be raised with Him and welcomed in by Him and His gracious word, well done good and faithful servant. After all, what have we to fear? For if Christ, who gives sight, who forgives our sins and overcomes our enemies, is for us, who could possibly be against us? Amen, we pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit and the strength to persevere. Lord, as we live in a world that is constantly attacking our faith in one way or another, we pray that you would make us bold to stand firm upon your word, keep us diligent in learning your word, and make us faithful in caring for everyone who suffers for the sake of your word. And in Jesus, we pray that you would sustain us into life everlasting and you would greet us with that wonderful, blessed word, well done, good, and faithful servant. In your name we pray. Amen.